So obviously we are starting a new series today in the book of Judges. Uh, we're going Old Testament for a little while. You know that I like to b- bounce back and forth between Old Testament and New Testament. That's just kind of what I like to do. I believe God has uh, shown me that's something we're supposed to do. A lot of times people tend to neglect the Old Testament. That drives me crazy. Um, I think this is the, the whole Word of God and it should all be embraced. And uh, yes, there are some things in here that may seem a bit confusing. There's some things in here that, that may seem like, well, that's not really applicable to my life. Well, as you will see, if you continue to read God's Word, uh, things will jump out at you from God's Word that will remind you that, yes, indeed, this is applicable to your life right now. And uh, I just pray that that's what happens as we do this Old Testament study in the book of Judges. Um, So I have to tell you a story uh, to kind of start this off. This is a story that's very embarrassing to me, um, but I think it's applicable to uh, what we're... uh, Why are there so many people smiling at me right now? Uh, this particular passage, we're going to be in, in uh, Judges chapter 6, but we're going to start with uh, Gideon. It's who we're going to start with. But um, I felt like I needed to tell this story, and, and I didn't want to, um, but God had impressed upon my heart that I should, so here I am going to tell you this story. So this is something really dumb that I did, okay? So you guys know that I do dumb stuff all the time. This is something that was especially dumb, and I have to share it with you. So this is what it like, what it's like to follow the obedience of the Lord. So anyway... So this has been quite a while now, probably a couple of years ago. Um, I had rented a Redbox movie. Some of you know where this story's going uh, already when I say that. Uh, I, I had rented something from Redbox, and I was supposed to be taking it back. And um, I believe it was early on a Sunday morning. I, I typically go to Walmart early on a Sunday morning. I don't know why. I think God leads me there. There are some people I interact with from time to time on Sunday mornings at 6 o'clock in the morning. And God has definitely appointed me to do that, so there are many times I go and I wander around uh, Walmart early in the morning. Well, this particular morning, I had a Redbox DVD with me, right? So I had it stuck in my back pocket, and I go into Walmart, and I said, well, I'll return the DVD on my way back out of Walmart because they have the little box there, and I can just stick it in there, and I can be done. Um, But I'm walking around Walmart, and it's early in the morning, and I, I walk up to the jewelry counter, and I don't remember what I was doing there. I think I was actually looking at watches or something. I don't know. My mind is all over the place on a Sunday morning anyway. So I'm there looking at watches, and this guy comes up behind me, and he gets really close to me, okay? Like, I mean, there are two people in the store at 6 o'clock in the, in the morning at Walmart, and this guy, no joke, is like right up on my back like this, and I thought that was weird, y'all. I really did. I thought that was weird. You would feel it was weird too, okay? Don't judge me. So anyway, this guy, this guy's right up on my back, and then he walks away really quickly. And I mean, like, he is there. I mean, he is like Enoch. He is there, and then he's not. Like, I mean, like, he is just, he's there one second, and then he is gone. He's gone around the corner. I'm like, turn around. I'm like, where did that guy go? The guy that was right up behind me. Well, then I turn a corner. I see him. I see him there, and I reach back. And I'm like, my DVD is gone. My red box DVD is gone out of my back pocket. So I follow this guy around the store, right? I'm watching him. I'm watching this guy. And I'm like, I'm trying to see if he pulls the red box DVD out to look at it, see what DVD it is or whatever, you know? So I'm like secretly sneaking around Walmart at 6 o'clock in the morning. This guy is not the suspicious one. I am, apparently. So... So I'm walking around the aisles, I'm like looking down the aisles, you know, leaning around the corner, trying to, trying to see what he's doing, you know, without, you know, I'm, I'm like acting like I'm looking at something on the, on the wall, I'm looking at toilet paper and stuff, I'm like looking down. 
Like, <laughs> and I'm sure this guy was really freaked out by me, but he never pulled that Redbox DVD out, right? So I'm like, huh. So I'll watch him go to the counter. Well, actually, what I did was, this is a, so this is where it gets embarrassing, okay? So it's not like it hadn't been embarrassing enough. So it gets embarrassing because before he goes to the checkout counter, right before I intercept the guy, I'm like, look, I just can't let this, I mean, I don't care about a $10 Redbox DVD. I can pay that, but I didn't want this guy to steal my DVD. I didn't feel like that was the right thing. So I felt like it was my duty to go and approach this guy and tell him that he had stolen my DVD and it was not okay and he needed to give that back to me. And I go up to him and I'm like, hey, man. He's like, I'm the weird guy at 6 o'clock in the morning approaching somebody at Walmart. I go, hey, did you take my DVD? He's like, what? I say, hey, man. Did you take my DVD? I said, I had it in my back pocket. And you came up behind me at the jewelry counter, and you were real close to me. And then I walked away from the jewelry counter, and my red box was gone out of my back pocket. I said, did you take my DVD? I said, I just want to know. Very confrontational. You know, oh, Kenny Nicks, the loving youth, the loving pastor is supposed to be like, you know, caring about people. And, all this, and I'm confrontational with this guy about my DVD. He goes, man, I ain't got your stuff. That's what he said to me. That, that is the, that is the, the phrase that... that permeates my life. People will all the time come up to me and say, man, I ain't got your stuff. He said, I ain't got it. He said, I said, are you sure? I said, because I was standing there and now my Redbox DVD is gone. Are you sure you don't have my DVD? He said, man, you want to search me? He starts to pull his coat open. This is wintertime. Pulls his coat open. You want to search me, man? I said, no, I ain't going to search you. I'm just, I want you to look, at me, look me in the eye and tell me you didn't take it. He said, I didn't take your DVD. I don't know what you're talking about. I said, that's fine. That's fine. All right. And I just walked off, right? So I was fuming. I was, I was mad because he didn't own it, and I was bothered by it. He goes up to the checkout counter. I'm watching him at the checkout counter because now he knows to be on the lookout for me, right? Now he knows that this weirdo guy thinks that I took, that, that I, I, he's got my DVD, and I'm like following him around the store now, and he knows I'm there, and I'm watching him. And I'm like, I'm like this. As he goes down the checkout counter, I'm like, mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. I know you got it. It's probably going to set off an alarm when you go out that door or something. Something bad is going to happen. You watch. You watch. You're going to get the chastisement of the Lord here in just a few minutes. I'm going to just stand back and watch it. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I'm going to just wait. He goes out to uh, his car. He gets in his car. I'm like, he's going to get it out of his pocket now because he's getting in his car. He's going to get it out of his pocket. Now he gets in his car and drives off. I'm like, I'm so, I'm so flabbergasted at this point. I'm so mad. You know, I'm like, why in the world did this happen to me? Six o'clock in the, in the morning at Walmart. Now I got to pay for a DVD. I don't even know how to pay Redbox back. I don't, I don't know what you do. I guess you call them 1-800-REDBOX or something. So I'm like, look, I ain't got the DVD. Some dude stole it at Walmart. So anyway, so I go out to my car. I'm all frustrated. I sit down in my car, and I, like, put the key in the car, and I look over to my right. There's a bottle of water. No, I'm just kidding. A red box DVD right there in the passenger seat, sitting in the seat. Now, the crazy part is I don't know how that dude broke into my car and put that DVD <laughs> in my car. But he did it, and they didn't even set the alarm off. So I feel completely justified in my suspicion of that guy who told me he didn't have my stuff, but apparently he did, and he put it in my car. All right, so I tell this story in front of hundreds of people and who knows how many on Facebook so I can be made fun of to say this. 
sometimes we have a tendency to look outwardly instead of inwardly when we have something going on in our lives, right? We have a tendency to look everywhere else except right here when we want to blame everybody else and everything else and, and it's got to be somebody else's fault if it's, you know, it, and it turns out a lot of times it's what's going on right here and, and it's, it's an inside problem and not an outside problem. Uh, we get this a lot at the church, right? This is, this is something that happens at the church. If you're really, really uh, a pious, holy, religious person and you want to leave a church, this is what you'll say. This is the number one thing I hear all the time uh, because this actually makes it sound like you're doing things for the right reason. And they, people will say this, say, I'm leaving because I am not getting fed. That's what they'll say. And it sounds like that's really holy, right? Like, that. oh, my goodness, that person, they are a really devout follower of Christ they are diligent in their study of the word, and therefore they are leaving because the pastor is not giving them the word like he should. And that's what they'll say. I'm leaving because I am not getting fed. That's what they'll say, right? In reality, what's going on is it's instead of, instead of looking in here, they tend to look out here and they go, okay, it must be the pastor's fault. It must be the church's fault. In reality, what's going on is it's something in here. Because I want you to know this. Do you know what is supposed to provide you nourishment? Do you know what is supposed to provide you with the food that you need? It is this book right here. If you're not being fed, it's because you're not eating. You're starving to death because you're not eating. My responsibility as the pastor of this church is to equip the saints. That's my responsibility. So what we do is we come in here... And we lay the equipment out. We lay, you know, the, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes shod with the gospel of truth, the sword of the spirit. We, we lay them out in here, and it's your choice whether you pick them up or not. But the reason you're, you're not being fed is because you're not eating. It's not my job to feed you. So if you're not being fed, it's not the church's problem. What you will see a lot of times is they will blame the church. And really what's going on is an internal problem either within themselves or their own family or their own friends. Or if you look around them, you will see over time that the problem was not at all the church. The problem was them. But that's the really pious thing to say, right? I'm leaving because I'm not getting fed. I'm not getting fed. I, I, I just smile every time I hear, hear that. I'm leaving the church because I ain't getting fed. And you're not getting fed because you're not eating. Um, today, we're going gonna to read about Gideon. And I'll kind of explain a little bit of the background here. So you're going to see how this ties in by the end of the message. So you'll see what I'm talking about. But So here in the nation of Israel, it's not really a nation yet, Okay. So they're just a bunch of tribes. There's these 12 tribes of Israel that are just kind of, they're, 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 they're held up in this one location. They're not nomadic. They're not traveling around like a lot of these other, you know, foreign nations that are like traveling around. They sweep in and then they stay here for a little while and they eat all the food and then they go somewhere else. They're not really like that. The nation of Israel is pretty, pretty solid where they're at, but they're, they're 12 tribes. They're not really a nation yet. They're not, they're not really, they don't have a king yet. You know, Saul and David haven't come along yet. And, and they're not really a nation yet. So they're just hanging out. So if you can imagine, this is kind of what it's like. So they, they don't really have a, a, a king, if you will. But what they have is like these little rulers of their individual tribes that are just trying to keep things in order. So it would be like kind of like the mayor of Oxford, you know, like, like Oxford's got a mayor. And then you got like, like Hobson City's got a mayor. And, and you got Jacksonville's got a mayor. 
So it would be like that. It's like they're responsible for going around and just making sure everybody's doing the right thing, right? And that's, there's, no, there's no like courthouse or anything like that. It's just their job to go around and make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, right? And that's kind of what's going on. Well, you can imagine that if they're not really a nation and they're not really cohesive, then there's going to be some conflict, right? That they're not going to get along sometimes. Can you believe that? The human beings would not get along. That My little tribe is not going to get along with this little tribe over here, and we're probably going to call them a clique. That's probably what's going to happen, right? Oh, that little clique over there. And, 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 and it, so there's constantly turmoil, there, there's no cohesiveness, and, and, and they would do stupid things like they would start to worship other gods and, and like, you know, they would get way off course because God has said, you know what, if, if you'll be my people and I will be your God, then I'll bless you and I'll keep you as a nation. And that, that's where the tribes of Israel came from is God making this promise with these people. But they continue, they get in this cycle. And I don't know if you know this about people, but, but people will get in this cycle that they'll, they'll get close to God, and they'll be walking with God and, and really in tune with God. And then after a while, they get kind of tired of that, and then they'll go and kind of do their own thing, and they'll go and try to find something else more interesting, and they'll go and try to find something else that they like a little better, or it's a little easier to follow. They don't really have as many rules, so they'll go, and they end up worshiping these other gods, and, and these other things in their life become their God, and they, that's exactly what happened in, in this uh, this time in Israel is that these, they would go off and they start worshiping other gods. Well, things would happen to them. Bad stuff would happen. Enemies would come against them. And then God would send a prophet. He'd send, send somebody and say, hey, if you don't get your stuff together, then bad stuff's going to happen. See, I told you that this is the way that it works with me. I'll have my hand on you. I'll protect you. I'll keep you as long as I'm your God. But you keep worshiping these other gods, bad stuff's going to continue to happen. And what would happen? They'd repent. They'd turn back towards God. And God would have to rescue them out of a situation. They'd go back the other way. It's like this pendulum swing, right? Back and forth, close to God, away from God. Why do bad things happen? I don't know. Why, why, why are we, we so far away from God and, and, and all of a sudden bad things happen? We don't understand what's going on here. And then we come back to God. We repent to God. And this back and forth thing. You ever seen people do that? <laughs> Happens all the time. nation of Israel is no different than us today. Man, you'll, you'll see that all the time, man. Like, I don't understand why, you know, this happens and that happens, and I'm close to God, I'm away from God, and it's this back and forth pendulum swing. Well, God would send, um, send these prophets in to tell them that, that, that they were away from God, and he would send in a leader to also lead them back to God. When they repent, when they turn back to God, God was sending a leader to come and kind of rescue them, if you will. And that was what they called the judge. The judge in this time was basically just a leader. Somebody that wasn't necessarily appointed because of their lineage, because of their heritage, who they, who, what family they were in. It was just somebody that God kind of raised up as a leader, and they became an appointed judge, if you will. So somebody that was a leader that was kind of appointed. All right? And so that's what we're talking about. There, there are these judges that we're going to be studying now, one of them happens to be a woman, by the, by the way. Her name's Deborah. We're going to check her out. We're going to talk about her. Uh, you people that think that women don't have a role in leadership, we're going to talk about her. So um, I, I, just, I, I want us to take a good long look at the book of Judges. It may take a while. I don't know how long it's going to take. But the first one we're starting with is Gideon. Now, if I were to ask my students, like, hey, who is Gideon? would be like, oh, yeah, I know him. He was that disciple that went around all the holiday inns putting books in the nightstand, right? <laughs> you know, like, I don't even get what you're saying right now. 
Uh, there's a couple on there chuckling, but the rest of them are like, I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> so we're going to be talking about this old school guy, Gideon, in the Old Testament. We're going to talk about what he did and who he was and how God used him. And that's the first one we're going to start with. So let's kind of start in, in Judges chapter 6. It's, it's a good bit of scripture today, um, but we're going to kind of go through it kind of fast. The Israelites did evilness in the Lord's sight. Believe it or not, can you believe that? So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel, the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains and caves and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and other people from the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying the crops as far as Gaza. They left Israelites with nothing to eat, taking the sheep, the goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hoarders coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts, and they arrived in, in droves of camels, too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So the Israelites were reduced to starvation by the Midianites, and the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. So this is what happens. You got Midianites and, and Amalekites, they're coming in, and, and they're destroying everything, because what, what, what were they doing? So they were kind of like nomadic people, so they, were, they would swoop in. Uh, the Israelites were kind of set in their location. So what would happen is when they came in, the Israelites would run up to the mountains and they would leave all their stuff behind and all the people and their, 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 their camels and stuff, they just eat everything up like locusts. They just devour everything. So the Israelites come back down into the valleys after they had left and there's nothing to eat. They're starving to death. Not a good situation, right? And it starts, why, why did this happen? How could this possibly happen? The Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. That's where it starts, right? And then what happens? These people come in, take all their food. Israelites run up to the hills, come back down after a while. No food left. God's trying to show them something here. Does that mean that every single bad thing in your life is God trying to show you something? Maybe. I don't know. It depends on your situation. I don't know if you're close to God or far from God. Maybe God's trying to take you to the next level spiritually with him, and maybe that's the reason something bad happened in your life. I don't know. Maybe something bad happened in your life, so you come back to God. You've been away from God. You haven't really focused on the right thing with God, and maybe God's using this to bring you back to him in a whole fresh new way. Maybe. I don't know. But I know this, that nothing happens outside the sovereign hand of God, and God knows what he's doing, and he's doing it for the purpose of reconciling you to himself, and that's the whole purpose. Things happen. So that's exactly what's happened with the Israelites here. God's trying to bring them back in. He's trying to bring them back into the family, you know? They've gotten away. They're doing some stupid stuff. The good news is, is the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. That's what happened. So isn't it, isn't it apparent that God's using this for a good purpose? They come back and say, God, oh, yeah, Jesus, God, yes, oh, yeah, this is what people do, right? Oh, yeah, I remember Jesus now. I forgot about him when things are good, but now things are bad. Oh, yeah, Jesus, that's who I go to for help. Click, right? That's what's happening with the Israelites right here. When they cried out to the Lord because of the Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. It didn't even say who he is. It just says, send a prophet. He said, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and all who oppressed you. I drove out the enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship other gods, uh, the other gods of the Amorites and those who live now live. But you have not listened to me. Then what does he say? He says, Look, I gave you this land. I took you out of Egypt. I gave you the promised land. And I told you, you don't worship other gods. He sent a prophet to say this. So this is what God does. He always brings, raises up a prophet, somebody that will speak 
more than likely against the, the, the sin of the world, the, the sins that people are indulging in now. And by the way, it's not usually well-received. They don't like to be reminded of the fact that God has called us to do this. God has called us to be these people, and we've gotten away from it. People don't like that, typically. Matter of fact, some people like, I don't even like that. I'm going away. And they use the church like a television channel. If I don't like that channel, I'll just change it to the next one. I don't like what time it comes on. I'll find another channel. I'll find a show that's more appeasing to me, says the things that I like to hear, therefore I change the channel. Well, the difference is in the church... We're, we're all part of the ones that are the church, right? We're the ones that actually do and make things happen the way that God has called us to do and make things happen. So if, if things aren't going the way that they should be, then maybe the problem is all of us together collectively, and maybe we should all bond together and do things the right way and fall back in alignment with the Holy Spirit the way God has originally intended us to be. The angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the tree of Ophrah. That's not Oprah. That's Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the clan of Abizer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of the winepress to hide from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. So here, the story kind of interjects this guy named, named Gideon. And it kind of tells who he is and where he came from. And here he is hiding out from the Midianites, threshing wheat late at night, trying to hide. He's just a farmer dude trying to make a little bit of a living for his family, trying to make some, some food, some, some bread for his family. And he's just kind of hiding out. Not really a strong warrior, as the angel of the Lord says. Those of you that don't believe that God has sarcasm, you should, you should read that. Because that is very sarcastic speech from the angel of the Lord, which by the way, a lot of times when you see the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, it is a representation of Christ. So this is Christ before he ever came into the world. Not every single time, but many times you will see the angel of the Lord is actually Jesus appearing and talking. Angel just simply means a messenger. So this is a messenger from God who speaks as if he is God. And therefore this is Christ incarnate before he ever came to the earth. So just wanted to point that out, and it's important for you to know that. So he says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. And he's like, huh? Uh, as we like to say here in the south, and I get made fun of for saying a lot in the north, I say, do what? I think Gideon would have said, do what at this point? Sir, Gideon replied, uh, pardon? The Lord is with us. Why has all this happened to us? Where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Now, I think this is funny. He is is talking about the the rescue from the Egyptians, right? Well, what did the prophet just say? The prophet just prior had said, this is the same God that rescued out of the hands of the Egyptians and brought you into this land that you now are living in. He said, but you got to, to not worship these other gods. And Gideon wanted to pick out the good stuff, but he didn't pick out the stuff where they had sinned against God, and he didn't repeat that. He's like, oh, God, you let us down, man. If you're really an angel of the Lord, why is this happening to us? We're over in the hand, and like the prophet had just said in in two paragraphs prior, like, don't worship other gods. 
But here, Gideon leaves that part out, doesn't he? Don't we tend to, like, leave out part? Like, why is bad stuff happening to me? Oh, I, 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 I don't really read God's Word or have anything to do with church or anything like that. You know, I, I don't understand, you know, like, and I want you to understand, just because you come to church or read God's Word or you're a Christian does not mean that bad things aren't going to happen to you, but what it will give you is a greater sense of, sense of faith and understanding and depth of appreciation for what God is doing in every area of your life, good, bad, or ugly. So it may not take your situation away, but it'll definitely change your mindset about what's going on with that situation. And, and here, Gideon's just leaving out part of the story. He's like, man, what happened? I thought, I thought we were supposed to be your people and supposed to take care of us. And, and what's happening now? We're in the hands of the Midianites, leaving out part of it. The Lord doesn't even address that. The Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. That go with the, with the strength you have and rescue Israel, all of Israel, from the Midianites. I am sending you. This is just instruction from the Lord, straight. Exclamation point. I am sending you. You know that there's some people in here that, that God is sending. You know that there's some people in here that, that God is calling you and raising you up to be a leader, to go and do something you think you cannot do. And God is screaming at you, I am sending you, exclamation point. And people are doing exactly what Gideon does right here in the next passage. But Lord, but Lord, how, how many people, you, you come in here and, and God is impressing something upon your heart, I'm supposed to do this, I'm supposed to lead in this way. I, I, I'm supposed to step up, I'm supposed to do more than I'm doing right now. And then you say, but Lord. Uh, hang on just a minute. Uh, i got some excuses, God. If you will hear me out, you will understand that I've got some very good excuses why I cannot do what you're calling me to do. Don't we do that a lot? Isn't that what we do? Even when it comes to baptism or salvation, like God is calling right now, come and, and, and receive me as your Lord. Come and surrender everything to me. Come and let me be your living, breathing Savior. Let me direct your life. And he said, but Lord... But, Lord, wait just a minute. Hang on just a minute, God, because I don't think you really know what you're talking about. Isn't that what we're saying? God, I'm not really sure that you know what you're talking about. Hang on just a minute. Let me get some excuses out here on the floor before you start saying some crazy stuff. But, Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest of the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least of my entire family. He says, like, like I'm from the sissy clan. Like, we don't even do anything great. Like, and I, I'm, just, I'm just the guy who's bagging groceries, you know. I, I don't even, like, I don't even like have a big role in the clan. I'm just a little guy, you know. I don't, God's going, well, what does that have to do with anything? I, I, did, I didn't say anything about what clan you were from. I didn't say anything about how you were in your family, what role you had in your family. He said, go, I'm, I'm sending you. So Gideon starts with the excuses. The Lord said to him, I mean, so, so God's being patient with him. The Lord, Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Gideon replied, if you're truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it's really the Lord speaking to me. Don't go away until I come back and bring my offering to you. He answered, I will stay here until you return. Gideon hurried home. He cooked a young goat, and, and with a basket of flour, he baked some bread with yeast, and he came 
carrying the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot, and he brought them out and presented them to the angel who was under the tree. The angel of God said to him, Place the meat and the unleavened bread on this rock and pour, it over, pour the broth over it. And Gideon uh, did as he was told. The angel of the Lord touched the meat and the bread with the tip of the staff in his hand, and the flame... And the fire flamed up from the rock and consumed all he had brought. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that this was the angel of the Lord, he cried out, O sovereign Lord, I am doomed. I have seen the angel of the Lord of the face, uh, angel of the Lord face to face. It is all right, the Lord replied. Do not be afraid. You will not die. And Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and named it Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. And the altar remains known from the land of the clan of Abizer to this day. That night, the Lord said to Gideon, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old, pull down your father's altar of Baal, and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. The altar built to your Lord, the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar, using the fuel of the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. So here's what he says. You remember how I said we have a tendency to look elsewhere for the issues that are going on? We want to look all around us instead of looking inwardly. So here, Gideon realizes that that this is the angel of the Lord talking to him. This is Christ incarnate before he ever came to the earth. This is him talking to him. He's like, whoa, man, I am messed up here. And he says, it's okay. You're not going to die. It's, It's okay. I'm here. I'm with you. It's okay. And what happens? So he recognizes this calling of the Lord. And what is the first thing the Lord addresses? His family. He says, your family's got some issues you've got to clean up first. Uh-oh. I thought I was going out there to defeat the Midianites, and now you're telling me I've got to do some work on the family first? That's ridiculous. I've got to do some internal work before I ever do some external work? What are you talking about? That's ridiculous. He says, your dad's got a, a, an altar to Baal and an Asherah pole out there. So what I want you to do is I want you to cut it all down. Destroy it, cut down the pole, and I want you to make an altar to me, and I want you to use that pole as a firewood. Oh, oh, hang on, Lord. I know that I just acknowledged that I was in front of the Lord, and that was a big deal and all, and I get who you are, all right, but, but now you're telling me to do some crazy stuff. I thought I was just going to go fight the Midianites, but now you got me doing stuff inside my family? What a test of faith this is, right? I want you to recognize this, that once you say yes to the Lord, that may mean he asks you to do some really difficult stuff, and he may start with your own family. He may start inside before he ever starts outside using. I can attest to this. I personally can attest to this. And I felt the calling of God on my life when I really felt like God was calling me to preach his word and teach his people and love his people and go to him in ministry and, and do these things, I said, all right, God, I didn't understand all of it. I think I'm on board with this. And he says, okay, good. I'm glad you said that because you got some stuff you got to clean up on the inside first. And I went like, dude, really? I thought I was just going to help people. And he said, you can't help anybody else till you help yourself first. I went, oh. Now you're asking me to do some hard stuff. I thought this was going to be easier, like going out against the Midianites and defeating a a whole nation of people that would just destroy me. But now you're telling me to go inside and deal with my family first. Yep. That's exactly what's going on here. 
So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord had commanded. But he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of the town. So what does he do? All right, I got a way out. I know how I'm going to do this. God said to do it. This, how, how like in line was it, this is it with the way people think? All right, God told me to do something. I'll sneak and do it. Like middle of the night, I'll sneak. Nobody will know that I did it, but I'm still obeying the Lord. I'm still obeying the Lord, but I'm going to sneak and do it. And then I'll be like, ha, ha, see, God, I got you. I, I caught you in, 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 in the semantics of the whole thing. And like, like you, you said I had to do it, and I, I did it. It just nobody knew that I did it, right? Well, let me tell you something. You can try that. You can give it a shot. And, and if it's supposed to remain a secret, it will remain a secret. But if it's not, then God's going to expose it before everybody. Am I right about that? Like, you can try to sneak and do it quietly. I'm obeying the Lord quietly. But if it's not supposed to be that way, God's going to shout it from the rooftops. He just starts screaming, look over here. Look over here what happened. They were obedient to me. See? I see what happens to old Gideon. He, by the way, I love Gideon. He ain't real smart, but I love him. He says that he took 10 servants with him. So this is the best way to keep a secret, right, is to take 10 people with you. I know how we'll keep it low key. I'll just take 10 folks with me, and ain't nobody going to tell. They're my servants, so surely they're going to be completely loyal to me, and they're never going to tell a secret, right? And they're all saying about, like, <laughs> the only way to, to keep a secret is if it's told between two people and one of them's dead or something like that. I mean, there's like, like, you got 10 guys with you, and you're like, we're going to go at night, and nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to know it was us, right? It's a good plan. Good thinking, Gideon. Early the next morning, as the people of the town began to stir, some discovered that the altar of Baal had been broken down and the Asher pole beside it had been cut down and their new place, uh, place a new altar had been built and the altar with the remains of a bull had been sacrificed. And the people said to each other, who did this? And after asking around and making a careful search, they learned it was Gideon, the son of Joash. So how long did his secret last? It didn't even last till lunchtime, am I right? Like the dude didn't even get to eat lunch before he'd been ratted out. Not so smart, Gideon. Next time, go by yourself, dude. Retaliation, not so good here. Bring out your son, the men of town demanded of Joash. He must die for destroying the altar of Baal and for cutting down the Asherah pole. But Joash shouted to the mob that confronted him. Why are you defending Baal? We argue his case. Whoever pleads his case uh, will be put to death by morning. If Baal is truly a god, let him defend himself and destroy the one who broke down his altar. For then on Gideon, from then on, Gideon was called Jeroboam, which means let Baal defend himself because he broke down Baal's altar. This is what I want to say to you today. I think it's pretty cool, first of all, that Joash, his dad, defended him. and said, all right, look, if Baal's truly as powerful as he says that he is, as you believe that he is, let him defend himself. You don't have to kill Gideon. Baal will kill him, right? 
If he's a strong, mighty God that we worship, then he'll kill Gideon. You don't even have to lay a finger on him. And what was this doing right here? This is a reflection back to what the prophet had said. Right? Don't worship other gods because they're not real. They're not real. They, they don't have any strength. They don't have any power. They're false. And we're going to talk about later on Asherah and Baal and their prophets later on and how this came to work itself out later on in history, in Israelite history. But, but let me say this, is that Joash was reflecting back to what the prophet had said. But you know what? Baal, if he's strong, he can defend himself. And what is happening here? What is happening here? God's already starting the work inside Gideon's family. Right? His father, something clicked with his father, and all of a sudden his father is going, yeah, Gideon did the right thing. Gideon did the right thing. Gideon was trying to do it under cover of darkness and hide out and not make it a public scene. And all of a sudden he gets brought to light before lunchtime and, and they're all out to, to kill Gideon. And what's happening? His dad, something's clicking with his dad and his dad's going, oh, I get it. I get it. I remember that this God is weak. I remember this God has no power. I remember that the one true God that we're supposed to serve, that's the real God. And God is starting to do the work inside of Gideon's family. Now, we're just starting this, this whole message of Gideon. We're just beginning to, to kind of dig into who he is and what's going on in his family, but I think there's a lot to be learned here. You see, I want you to know something. The, the Amalekites and the Midianites, they're actually descendants way back. They're like second cousins and first cousins of the Israelites. You should know that. That, that these people are actually from within, their family. And they're the ones fighting against the Israelites. And here we have, here we have another example of where, where God has called somebody to do something and he begins to work in the family. So as we look at our own lives, as we look at, and man, I'm not getting fed or I'm not getting what I need to be getting or there's every reason in the world why there's something else going on in my life and it has nothing to do with me. Maybe that's not the case. Maybe what's really going on is God is challenging you, and maybe he did so through his word this morning that there's an opportunity for you to look inside instead of looking outside for every reason that there's something's going on in your life and it's not of God. Because I promise you, I promise you when you look for God, you'll find him. When you seek him, when you seek his face, he's there and he'll be found. The problem is you, you may be looking everywhere else. You may not be looking for God. You may be looking for excuses. And then if you're called to be a leader, you're called to do something. Everybody in here, by the way, is called to do something. I don't know what that is for you. I'm not God, therefore I don't know. But what I do know is this, is that I was in that place of making excuses and coming up with every reason in the world why I couldn't. And God said, I'm sending you. I'm sending you. And he's been patient with me, and he's reminded me that he's sending me. And I've tried to give him every excuse in the world. And he says, I'm the one that's sending you. It's my power. It's my might. He says, you're only a mighty hero because I have made you that way. Maybe today you're looking for excuses. 
Excuses for why things are the way they are in your life. Or maybe you're excuse, looking for excuses for why you're not doing what God's called you to do. Either way, it's time to lay the excuses down at the altar. It's time to let those false gods die right here at an altar. Let them be consumed by fire. Let the power and the might of the Lord consume them and devour them, and you surrender everything to the Lord. Let's stop making excuses. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this precious word. Thank you for how it challenges us. Lord, there are many times when you tell us things that we don't want to hear. God, because it is so much easier for us to look everywhere else for the reasons why things happen. God, I pray that we would look inside. We would stop looking everywhere else, God. We would look at our own families, our own friends, the people that we're around. God, we would look inside instead of outside. Lord, I know that there are plenty of people, plenty of people, God, that are worshiping false gods. God, maybe that false god is selfishness. Maybe it's their own evil desires. Maybe it's the, the focus of, of, of what they want. God, maybe people are, are, are looking at the church and saying, they're not providing what I need. God, I pray that every single person would examine themselves, test themselves in light of this scripture. God, and they would, they would actually be able to see exactly what's going on in their life with the clarity that only you can provide. And then there are some that are called to leadership. And God, they've made every excuse that they can. They, they, they've made every excuse to deny your calling on their life. God, every single one of us in this room has a calling if we're a Christian. I just pray that we be obedient to that calling and we stop making excuses. Lord, I just pray that you do the work. God, as, as we listen to you right now, as we lay these excuses down at the altar, as we, we lay our own selfishness, our own pride down at the altar, God, I pray, God, I pray that you're glorified as we sacrifice these things and say, God, you and you alone are what matters. Lord, be glorified now as we praise you as these sacrifices are made to you. God, I pray that we would respond to you and we would follow the leadership of your Holy Spirit now. In Jesus' name, amen. Everyone stand.